Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bonham Teeth Foodcast. All right, this week we've got on Alex Wagner and Mark McKinnon, two of the three hosts of the weekly Showtime documentary series, uh, The Circus. Oh, one note, I'm old friends with Alex from my days growing up in D.C. Uh, anyway, so Mark and Alex, plus their third counterpart, John Heilman, started the series during the 2016 presidential campaign and have not stopped since they travel around talking to key political players and this is where our podcast comes in eating at restaurants all across the country uh we chat about how food became part of the premise of the show what role food plays in politics and even get some insider scoop about the eating habits of some of our former presidents all right let's do this here is mark and alex Guys, first of all, I want to thank you for braving the snowstorm <laughs> and making it down to One World Trade Center today. I'm just I glad th- I didn't have to go to school today. Too. I think I saw like some ice in the corner of a shadow four blocks away. It's so but ridiculous. But it, it seemed treacherous. I live at 10,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains. We've had like 200 feet of snow It's this been a year. huge year, right? Oh my God, it's, and it's insane right now. I mean, they had... And a couple of feet just in the last 24 hours. Where exactly do you live? I live in Blue River, Colorado, population 800 at 10,000 feet. Wow. He's actually Santa Claus. That's where his <laughs> workshop is. You thought Santa had a white beard. It's paradise. It's nope. paradise. What's What's the nearest like well-known ski Breckenridge. Area? Oh, Breckenridge. Very I, used to, I grew up going to Breckenridge. Is that right? I mean, I want to say grew up, but as a kid, I went <laughs> yeah. a few times. Yeah. Well, my grandfather had a house there. One of my earliest memories is carrying rocks to build that house in 1961, which was the year the ski area started. Oh, wow. And my wow, mo- my carrying mother. rocks. That's such a, like, <laughs> sort of anachronistic. That's like an 1800s That's era like, childhood. And, and he, walked Carry. Up, he walked uphill both ways to school. With I my was oxen. wearing reindeer skins on my back, <laughs> carrying rocks to build Breckenridge. <laughs> we need some more rocks up in here. Um, so, yeah. All right. So, for those listeners out there, today's what? February 4th, Emma? March. Yeah. March. March 4th. <laughs> God. All right. So March 4th. There was supposed to have been a big snowstorm last night. Our mayor, Mr. de Blasio, shut down schools, everything else. Parents left parents scrambling for daycare, school, you yes, know, what to do did. today. And it's gorgeous out. And it's, it's like 40 it's and sunny, sunny out right now. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of angry parents in New York City right now. De Blasio. In, including my wife right now. But speaking of snow delays, you guys are both on the road a lot for the show. Sure. I'm going to hit right to it. What is your favorite airport to wait out a delay at? Wow, that's a good question. I, I just I think of the airports I'm at almost all the time, which is Newark or Denver International. Newark, D- Newark, I'm going to say no, no. But DIA is actually pretty good. Denver. What do you airport. What do you got there in terms of restaurants or bars? Uh, uh, John Elway's place is actually not bad. Oh, is it a steakhouse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a <laughs> classic, you know, John Elway Super Bowl steakhouse. You know. Do you have a go to order there? Steak. Steak. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense when in Rome. I I like the Austin airport. That's pretty funky. It's live music. Funky. Yeah, there's yeah, live like, music. They and try you to get... bring a little bit of South by Southwest inside the airport. I can't think of the food that I eat there. I just think of myself as being happy when I'm there, because there it feels. It, the Austin airport has less chain. Yeah, they also stuff. they open that big uh, Stumptown Coffee there, right? 
kind of when you walk in. Yeah, there's a yes. big, there's a big stomp. Yes. I think Wero's has a outpost out there right. now, and uh, there's there's some real good Austin food. I mean, it's all Austin localized food. Right. In there. Yeah. It's, it's not chain. So they do a pretty good job. I like. Um, interesting. Some of the bigger airports, it all depends on what terminal you're in. Chicago, there can you can go to Rick Bayless's Torta Place. But I always, oh, I have. The one I always end up at is the one that there's nowhere except for like the Blackhawks bar where you have like the foot long hot dog and you're like, okay. And, yeah. the, and the cheese and the caramel popcorn. Oh my God, who oh my makes God. it? That, cheese, that, that Chicago thing, all my Chicago, my husband's from Chicago. Oh, he, oh yeah, duh, you're, popcorn. Yeah. It's, I but, can't believe, Garrett, Garrett's, okay. Garrett's popcorn, yeah. But Your I husband's a healthy guy. It may be evolving now, but wouldn't you say generally the airports are terrible places for food? I would say they are much better than they used yeah, to be. Definitely. Yeah, they're, they, they've traditionally had been, and you would get gouged. I, I so do they're getting think, it now? I think there's more individual people like the Rick Baylisses of the world being brought in there to open up their versions of what they do. It's, it's tough for the, the chefs in that, I could be wrong on this, but typically you know, it's kind of a licensing sort of deal where they're opening it, they're bringing the food in, but then it's the airport people who staff it and whatnot and security clearance and all those sort of things. So um, you got to sort of try to make it as good as you can, but you're still sort of playing by airport rule as well there. But I feel like generally airlines and air travel, they're trying to make at least more of a hat tip towards good food. Yeah. On the Delta LAX flight, John and Vinny of John and Vinny's amazing I, In LA, pizza I was just in LA jam. interviewing them about that. that well, how, 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 how symbiotic, how, yeah. what, what beautiful so yeah, so they do they do the menu for the LA New York flight, right? For yeah, for the for fancy business, business class. class. Yeah, they do LA New York and Boston and New York. And Linton Hopkins down in Atlanta does it going west for Delta, and then uh, New York to LA. Danny Myers Restaurant Group does that. Wow, really? This has nothing to do with politics. But it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's has to do with talk. travel, though. Um, so I, it's interesting. I at Bon Appetit, for instance, the magazine, because we I know we have the podcast and the videos and this and that, but within the at, at the magazine, anytime I remotely bring up politics, it's just like the hand the angry hand written written letters start just pouring in. Like stick to food. <laughs> stick with what you know, Rappaport. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, in, in one sense I'm like I get it. If I'm sort of sitting down with a magazine, you kind of want this sort of escapist moment for the month. But on the other moment, it's like, in a lot of ways, food is politics. Well, the one great thing about food, and I'll tell you the history of how it came to the show, but that's the one thing everybody agrees on. You know, in this partisan, vile, hyperbolic environment, when we do the food stuff, people are all love, man. Yeah. It's all love. It's great. Well, and people, you go to red states or blue states, and there's a dish or a restaurant. Oh, they all want to. I mean, I often yeah, find, like, when you're interviewing a politician and you've gone to some place that is not your usual place to hang out or whatever, and you're in an environment that's foreign or hostile, or you're talking to someone who's prepared for, you know, a tough interview or a shakedown, if you can, if you start talking about food, mm-hmm. or if you just say, you know, an amazing blah, blah, yeah, blah, like it? pork sandwich at this spot, like... It just immediately establishes common humanity, yeah. and, and and it's really underrated as a way to. I mean, food does bring people together literally at the table, but in politics, it's like one of those things that in there are fiercely partisan times. Like I am shocked by the response we get to the food stuff in our show. I mean, there's just a whole food porn audience. Yeah, out I mean, there. there is something visceral. <laughs> I mean, that about may not it. surprise you. Yeah, but, <laughs> but when you're at the barbecue joint and people are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> ribs and mac and cheese and cobbler, and like you can't not react to it. But it, it, it's interesting not to get all partisan again. But one thing Obama said a few years back about 
these these sort of uh, these times where we're at each other's throats. It's just like he said. Typically, like people tend to have much more in common than you think. It's only when you bring up politics that then they get combative. Yeah. But in, and if you look at those like barbecue joints in Texas that you've been at in one, one episode of the show or in Carolina, you never think about who's eating there and what side of the aisle they're on. Mm-hmm. It's just like they just want some Carolina style ribs or they want some Texas style brisket, and everyone's in the church of barbecue at that point. Absolutely. Now that's that's the one common thing that brings everybody together. So whose idea was it to start filming segments in restaurants? Was that one of you guys? Was it a producer? The way it started was we we knew we had to set up the week somehow. And the, the you know the the conventional idea would be we'd be in some kind of studio setting at you know at a desks and sitting there. That was just horribly static and not in line with kind of the the feel of our show, which is very documentary and very loose and fun. And I think somebody uh, just suggested, you know, why don't we why don't we grab a lunch? And then we went down to, uh, like, Katz's Delicatessen. That was one of the first ones here in New York. But yeah. I think it's also, it's another piece of it is, <clears throat> if you're a journalist covering politics or if you're a campaign staffer, you crisscross the country and eventually you remember spots you've been to as like, oh man, when we hit Austin, we got to go to this spot. Like when we do yeah. our press availability here, we got to make sure to get a sandwich here. Lizard's Thicket and exactly. in Columbia, Sa- South Carolina. Well, yeah, Columbia and Charleston are great places to stop. You're there in, you know, primary time. Everybody has their institutions that they make pilgrimages to, no matter where they're from and whether they're on the media side or the campaign side. And so I think the show wanted to capture that thing of like, we all pick places we want to go to and we have to go to these places. But do you feel like when you're, especially during the campaign trail and whatnot, are there certain joints that are more like red joints or blue joints in terms of where the media or the campaign people, workers will go to? Any examples of that, like clubhouse wise? And I, I think to your earlier point, food is is a place that brings everybody together. Now, there's more, you know, if we're in redder states, there mm-hmm. are going to be redder yeah. people there, you know. And, you know, we don't like pick, we don't go to Chick-fil-A where we know that's going to, we know what kind of constituency that's going to be. I think, you know, there's a dividing line. Part of it is economics, right? Like the journalists yeah. tend to be broker. So they'll find the hole in the wall spots in any given city. Campaign staff tends to have less time to be going. I mean, I'll let you speak to this, Mark, since you're on the campaign staff side. There's less time in between that you're on the road with the candidate. And Fast and furious, just get, getting it and grabbing it and throwing it down. And, you know, we're into lowbrow as much as highbrow. I mean, I love good lowbrow. But yeah. isn't, I always I always think that in, in terms of making a magazine every month that that's kind of everyone. There's this notion that fancy people just want or rich people only want fancy food. And like no, rich people want to go to the best barbecue joint in Austin. Also, rich people want the best mac and cheese, and like it goes both ways. And there's notion that yeah, only certain types of people like certain types of food is I think a complete misnomer. Yeah, it is for sure. So you worked on campaigns for a long time, correct? I did. So talk to me about that. And like, is it when you're on the campaign and do you even have time to eat, or what's what is that process like? And if you can share some stories for various candidates. Well, uh, you know, it, 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 McCain was kind of a classic who was always living off the land, you know, because uh, uh, first time around he didn't have any money, and then second time around he was the front runner, and then he got, you know, then he went broke overnight, and so we were living off the land. In New Did Hampshire. he like gamble it all in Vegas or something? <laughs> Pretty close, you know. <laughs> 
No, but he he got caught in the crossfire of the immigration debate and went from front runner to you know dead last overnight, and uh, so we had to go literally live off the land in New Hampshire, and so. So you guys were foraging. Yeah, wait, what does that literally mean? Live <laughs> off the land. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I, I remember, uh, 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 you know, we'd have enough money to get to the next day. Yeah. And we were eating burgers and fries yeah. and living in and and staying at hotels that were under construction. So you weren't going to Morton's Steakhouse. No, 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 no. No. Did you did McCain have good eating habits? No. <laughs> no. Did he have particular eating habits? No, I mean he just was kind of an old navy guy. He would have lived off, you know, gorp. Right. And uh and that's kind of how the whole thing rolled, but it, the whole thing about campaigns is you 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 you, know, you eat whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Because you, go, you don't, because you don't know when you're going to get to eat. Yeah, again. and you go to the bathroom whenever possible, and you sleep whenever and possible. You charge you your phone you, now whenever yeah, possible. Yeah, and you just don't know when you're going to get to do any of those things. So, uh, I mean, uh, the, the sort of mandatory thing is like have a stash in your bag of something like nuts and berries. Oh, yeah. and, you know, just what about George W. Bush? I feel like he was more he is more disciplined about his diet and health and fitness generally, right? Yeah, I mean, he, but he's a Texan, and you know, he loves his. So yeah, red so what meat does that mean? Barbecue, you know steak. You know, meat, not, meat. not a big vegetable guy. New. <laughs> no, I mean, I, mean, I remember being with him in Kenny Bank. It was one of my favorite moments politically ever. I, but wait, the thing is, he's not a Texan. Well, <laughs> he, bu- he's, he bought in. Buy a dress. Yeah, yeah. He, but he's, buy, lived there, he's lived there 90%. What do they always say? Like, converts are the biggest zealots or whatever? Yeah, yeah. for sure. So he's an, he's an enthusiastic, yeah. Yeah, but I, I just was, I mean, I remember being with the whole family and his mother like, eat your peas, George, eat your peas. This she is literally he, said that as, as an adult. Yes, yes, as at, an adult. While he was campaigning yes. for president? Yes. That's yes. incredible. Yes. And just berating him for, for that and also that he ate too fast. Well, He's a speed eater. Oh. I know that. He does everything fast. I get, yeah, my wife literally still tells me that all the time. She's like, will you slow chew. down? I tell that to my husband. Is that, yeah. is that, is that, a, is that a male affliction? Yes. I fear it is, except for my cousin Tony, who you know. Uh, like slowly? Cousin Tony. Like, he eats so slowly that you'll have had seconds, and he's still working on his first. He's just talking the entire time, <laughs> and he ta- eats really slow. It's a sort of double whammy. Wags, you've spent a lot of time with our last president, Obama. Seven y- Almonds, Obama. Yeah, I so repeat that anecdote. The be- uh, give me the 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 yin and yang of like healthy highbrow Obama and yummy going digging in lowbrow Obama. Okay, well I shouldn't. I'm not like the Obama food chronicler by any by any stretch of the imagination. But I I can say since my husband did cook for him for six years, actually seven. You know they have a. They have a very balanced attitude towards food. I mean, like she is by far the more adventurous eater, and like, mm. and if you if you actually follow the exploits of like which Obama goes out to the cool restaurants, she's always paving the way. So she's the one. She's like when the, like, she's like always down to try the new. We just filmed um, this week's episode. We started the roundtable at Maidan. Maidan. Maidan in Washington D.C. Yeah. was one of our was our number two best new restaurant in America. Last oh really? Year. Well, and we, Washington D.C. It was fantastic. It's, it's amazing, and it's so unlike Washington. It's so un Washington. And she went there really early yeah. and kept going back. And she just gets down with all kinds of different stuff. Now, I think because of his childhood in Indonesia, he can really get into spicy and mm. like I think particular Asian food is like his Proustian Madeleine. You oh. know, like that Anthony Bourdain the, episode. Yeah where they're eating noodles. I remember talking to him about it and like it just 
it has such a it conjures such specific memories for him. There's such a emotional link to to like Asian noodles yeah, and yeah. participation. We're doing noodles tonight. I'm very excited. Yes, we're going to Momofuku uh, in Columbus. The noodle. The noodle bar. Right? Oh, Columbus, the Columbus circle. The new one. Yeah. Oh, cool. But he I, he told me once about nasi goreng and like he just went off on like the details of nasi goreng and what it was like growing up in Indonesia and eating nasi goreng and the condiments and this and that and then he started talking about char siu pork and he just like has a real literacy around asian food that i as a half asian person can we get to the almond story it's apocryphal right well so but But it's been an inspiration at the same time he's not i mean he's just very his general diet i think is in line with his personality he's never too high never too low never eats too much doesn't eat too little keeps it really like in line and so when he has a snack he doesn't have like a whole bag of almonds he has a handful and I think a story that was told about his almond consumption was misconstrued in the press, according to my husband who told the story. He does not count out the number of almonds he eats right, every right, night. Right, yeah. He just does not eat a lot. So there well, might have been like a like, I mean, he'll eat like seven almonds. Like that sort exactly. of. Exactly. That, that was the story. Like seven almonds so, became, he will eat seven almonds at like 1132. So, I do want to say that that's inspired me to a habit that I have a daily ritual now. I eat 10 Reese's Pieces a day. <laughs> I do. I have a bowl. Wait, at what, at oh, what? oh, Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. Is That's that, insane. Is that like throughout? That's how do you count that out? Is that throughout the I, day? I get, do five in the morning and five in the afternoon. Oh, my, oh God, my God. That's psychotic. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, if George W. Bush and Obama were to have a wrestling match, who would win? <laughs> That's such a weird thing well, to say. Well, they're both. I said they both seem pretty disciplined. They both are athletic. This is about, phys- I mean. It's about the same height? Uh, no, Obama's taller, I think. I think Obama's a little taller. Obama will tell you, he'll be the first to tell you, point you to his health, um, his his physical at the end of his presidency. He's like the only president in history whose resting heart rate went down, whose body fat really? went down, like mm. his anaerobic threshold went up. I mean, he got into better shape well, you know, at the uh, end of his presidency. I, I used to run with the president before he was president, and then his which, knee- Which president are we talking uh, about here? President Bush. <laughs> before, I mean, then his knees went out, and my back went out, so we started mountain biking. When he was president, he mountain biked all I mean, that was his release, and he he mountain bike like a madman. Like, I mean, where, like where? Where were you? There, there are these. Uh, there's like these secret security compounds in and around DC, mm-hmm. and they and we just they kind of built out some single track. So you weren't doing places. like the really dangerous stuff where you're kind of going off little boulders and all that. Sort no, of stuff. no, but it's but it's. I mean, it's it's pretty edgy. I mean, it's it was true mountain biking, yeah. and he's a pretty good mountain biker. So how, but, but he ride fast as hell. And like, I remember one time when we, this is this is an example. But but he did it as a release, which all presidents need in some form or fashion. I remember one Sunday he called and said, "You know, MCAT, let's go." And, and I was like, well, uh, "Mr. President, it's 17 degrees, and it's like going to you know the forecast is for sleet in 10 <laughs> minutes." And he's like, "Perfect." <laughs> and so we went out for two hours in sleet. Two in hours in the sleet in the sleet and 17 degree weather. And when we were done, what time of day is it? It's like middle is, of the afternoon. No, no, this is like eight in the morning. Oh my god! And it was just horrible. And and you know how when you get so cold that when you start to thaw it, it like hurts, feels oh, like needles yeah. in your. Oh my! If I it hadn't burns. been, if I hadn't been with the president of the United States, I would have cried. I was in such. Wow! Pain. Yeah. And I had icicles all over my beard. I was just like a. I so you like, really look like Santa, like Claus. Santa yeah. That's like that Tony Soprano thing. Like the boss says we're doing this. You're like, oh, all yeah. right, boss. Oh yeah, no, tr- yeah. Oh, Michael Cohen of you. Totally. Whatever the boss <laughs> yeah. says. Do you uh, do you remember what you ate after that two hour workout? Uh, I think I just stuffed you know whatever was around and just consumed. It was like I had bars and chocolate and just just anything. just anything that would go down as fast as possible. You know, interestingly enough, this the w- woman. 
the chef who is the executive chef at the White House. So explain, prepares, the, explain the difference between what your husband, Sam Cass, did and what the executive chef of the White so House the, does. Ex- the executive chef of the White House oversees all the sort of formal functions, state dinners, etc. Any event. Any event. And Sam was unusual. Other presidents didn't have a Sam Cass, but he was the personal chef to the family. And then he also ran food policy in the West Wing. So he had two jobs. But his first job started out as as, the, as their chef. Um, so he didn't do state dinners. He would help out. But the woman, the executive chef of the White House, is a woman named Christetta Comerford, who was there during George W. Bush and, and is still there through Donald Trump. She's like wow. the longest serving sort of, I, she's, I don't know that she's the longest serving, but she's she sort of shepherded through three very different palettes, right? George, I remember <laughs> but, Sam yeah. told me they came in after the Bushes left, and it was a really seamless, beautiful transition. But, you know, there was, like, Velveeta and, like, stuff that the Obamas weren't going to eat because they were trying to eat really healthily and they had two young daughters and they were trying to focus on that. And now Trump, as you as we know, is, like, you know, meatloaf and McDonald's. And, and through all of it, Chrisetta Comerford has been there, like cooking meals for the public and for at least the Bushes and the Trumps. Wow. Uh, so, for what, the president so whatever himself. the first family wants. Yeah, I, I took a tour of the White House one time. Sam was gracious enough to hook us up and went down to the kitchen. It's kind of fascinating how it's a very workmanlike kitchen, the big sort of industrial ranges, but not big. Small. And then when you go to the room where the state dinners are, like they pack the people in there and it's like what 150 or something maybe yeah that sounds right and it's just like boom 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 and as soon as the plates are down then they're done the boom 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 moving them out and like very little room for the waiters to get by and like that you could understand a chef like her like someone needs to be in charge who knows how things run yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the White House surprises everybody because it's so, you, you'd think it would be this enormous sort of, you know, so the working space and the dining space, it's all really cramped and tight and terrible and, you know, Miserable. Like, uh, hundreds of years old. And yeah. <laughs> because it's limited real estate. And also, everyone was a lot smaller back in the day. I'm kidding. That's not no, actually No, it's weird. true. But they were <laughs> kind they, of they smaller. Were, but they, 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 people it was were a smaller short. operation, but too. No, but if you look at, in America at least, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Versailles or something, but if, if you're ever anywhere in New England and you go to houses from the 1700s or 1800s, the ceilings are very lower. low and the doorways are smaller. And it's just a lot smaller blueprint for, for living. And, and, the, and the White House was not unlike that. And then obviously having to pack in all the employees and the events and this and that. And it's just like they really jam it in there. The, during the state dinners, one of the things that I think is so interesting is the plates get put down. But as soon as the president is finished, the plates are cleared, and Bush was <laughs> that very. That means they confident. were done in five minutes. Well, the, it, it was a thing with the White House staff that Bush was such a fast eater that you know he'd get his plate first, and that he'd finish like in record time. And so there were some guests who hadn't even gotten their plates yet <laughs> so you before be, they started clearing. And you just could never catch up. Yeah, you like, couldn't. Ah, how ah, could ah. you? Like, and you know that's why. Here's your dessert, Mama Bush. Was like, slow down and eat your yeah, piece. Yeah. It's interesting. We we were talking about the sort of the common ground of food and how it brings people together and and how we can all agree upon it. Uh, there have been some of these instances in the last year as things have really heated up, uh, particularly with immigration to the wall. And like yeah, interesting, I want to say it was uh, Kirsten Nielsen getting sort of heckled and yelled mm-hmm. at at a Mexican restaurant uh, yeah. during the time of, you know, when Ted mothers Cruz and children did. were being yeah. separated. Yeah. 
It's uh, happened to a number of people. And that right? happened to who was that? Um, the redhead, was, not the redhead. Well, it was Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, also Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. yeah, kicked out of a restaurant, the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia. Yeah, I want to say that. I mean, that seems that's to be crossing new, the line, right? Yeah, right? that's it's definitely new, and it's and I think it's just really crossing the line. Well, I think you also have to understand, um, you know, for Secretary Nielsen. Immigration and immigration policy directly affects a lot of kitchens, right? There are a lot of oh, undocumented yeah. workers that work in kitchens, um, restaurants. It, it, the dynamic there is directly affected by whatever our national policy is. And so, you know, that was a pr- really emotional time. It continues to be emotional as that saga, you know, sort of plays out in slow motion. But I think that was one of those situations where it was like, how dare you come to a restaurant where there are a lot of workers from latin america i think it was was it a mexican restaurant it was a mexican restaurant mxdc cocina mexicana right in washington dc why, why can, like come and 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 sort of celebrate and consume you know it was the a, bounty of it, mexican it, it culture was, at the same time as you are sort of vilifying you know all the people south of the border i'm not excusing it but i'm just saying you know that these are really sort of particular expressions of of the political moment and i think also mark you can attest to this this white house you know it, it's it's hard to get access to these people in a lot of ways right yeah, media has yeah. become so bifurcated that like they're Every, on fox news and nowhere yep, else so right. when you see someone in the you flesh you want to express and you want to express for a long time sure but 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 then that gets into the whole like doxing where you're like publicly outing people's home addresses yeah. and you know people like Tucker Carlson people going to their houses and banging on their doors and it just right that's uh, taking the public discourse way off the path. How on the show? So let's talk about the show for a bit. So for those viewers who have not seen it, um, weekly kind of docu series documentary. What's going on it's right a, now? In it's politics. a real time documentary, and what that means is that we do in a week what people would normally do in months or even longer, uh, which is we create a thirty minute documentary every week. And the part, part of the reason that it works, I think, is, A, first of all, there's just so much interest in what's going on. No lack of material. Yeah. What makes good there's drama. Much, there's, I mean, there's literally too much material Well, right we now. have to cut every week. And yeah. we've never had not enough material, which I was afraid would happen at the Why beginning. Why not an hour? We've tried to do that on a couple of occasions. And we have done a few. It, it just cru- it crushes us to do 30 minutes. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, peop- I pitched the show for 10 years. Television executives didn't think we could do what we're doing technically. In terms of it's, the turnaround time? Yeah. It's so fast. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How much was Hard Knocks an influence in terms of Partially, being able to do uh, it? Yeah, I was to say, listen, you, you, know, you can do it on Hard Knocks, and we should be able to do it here. And, and David Nevins, who was head of Showtime, had some experience in that kind of turnaround, and he was one of the first people to say, you know what? Let's do it. Hard Knocks being the NFL football show where they follow but a you team see, in training camp. But and you they, s- every, that week, yeah. they film it that week, it's on that And the challenge for a network executive is when we were pitching this, they said, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm going to see the show that airs Sunday night, Sunday morning? I don't think so. You know, that yeah. was her reaction. But uh, Showtime and Nevin said, let's roll, let's do it. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a gamble, but uh, it's exceeded all our wildest expectations. We thought it'd be just the campaign one and done, maybe come back in 2020, and then a week into the administration, like, get back out there. So, all right, a couple questions. So, in terms of the actual schedule, so you film from when to when, and when's it edited, and then when does it go up? We start filming generally on Mondays, like like today. We'll start to do our roundtable, which is the food scene, to kind of set up the week, and then we we roll constantly. We have uh, three or sometimes four f- big crews of big cameras, big sound. That's you know five, six, seven people per crew, all with e- each one of the co-hosts, all over you know sometimes all over the country, 
And the reason we can do it now and couldn't do it five years ago is we're feeding back media real time. It's not like FedExing a half-inch tape overnight or two nights. As soon as it's shot, it's fed back to New York, and editors start working on it immediately. Oh, so, so they're like they're, running. They're they'll be cutting tonight yeah. what we shoot, and so by Wednesday or Thursday, we'll we'll start, and sometimes Friday we see like two-thirds of the first, you no, know, two-thirds of the show rough cut, and then we give feedback, and then Saturday morning we see a longer cut, and then we always stay up all night Saturday night, usually until about 7 or 8 or 9 a.m. Sunday morning I don't to think finish Alex, the show. I don't do she, no. she gets a pass. <laughs> Adam didn't even know, but he knew. He was like, I know she Alex a, Wagner, she gets and pass. she's not staying up. She said like two glasses of Merlot and like yeah. Well, <laughs> well, this season Alex Wagner and last season actually, I'm pregnant, so <laughs> I have a completely valid excuse in my mind. And then other seasons, I'm just lazy. So it's March. <laughs> when are, when do you have to stop traveling? Like soon. <laughs> shh, don't tell my yeah. doctor. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah, uh, soon. Like w- we only have two more weeks left of the okay. season. So I'll be able to like do small trips through the end of the season. And then, t- so I guess in that sense, I mean, as from what I heard, the first 2020 Democratic debate is in June or something. Yeah, that's just insane. Yeah. Why? I don't want to get started on like the, the the media machine that is a presidential election these days. So will the next? I mean, will you do two seasons on the campaign then next? Year? I mean, if it, how long? We'll go almost all year next year. Well, yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten our marching orders from Showtime, but we will definitely have. More of an extended You'll run in 2020. You'll start next fall. Well, we, we, we did twenty. We did this fall. We'll do this fall, and then next year we'll go like twenty six episodes, like we did the first campaign, which is you know we think we haven't we've been not yeah. finalized. Well, I'm just comparing that. it to 2016, which was twenty six episodes. Right, it'll be similar to that. And it just seems like there's a natural storyline to follow during an election. How is it when there's not an election going on like right now? How do you craft well, the storylines? The one thing I'll say uh, about this administration and this time that we're in, first of all, there's a national civics lesson going on. People are just fascinated by what's going on and interested, in, and that's across the political spectrum. The other thing is that what makes great drama? Interesting characters, conflict, and surprise. We get that every single day. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, like I said, too much of it. That's why it's the half-hour show. Well, like, it seems like you could easily, yeah. Well, we could e- uh, listen, but if there's you have, enough you have to material. And but the but the it's happening so fast and so furious that sometimes we often we're at Thursday and Friday, and the stuff we shoot Monday or Tuesday seems ancient. Well, how often does that happen? Because you hear that a lot on podcasts like Pod Save America and those guys. By the time a pod goes up, they're like. Aren't we like I, something else already broke, and now this is going to sound late, even though it's only literally a day old? But I actually think that's a strength of the show. <clears throat> I think in this moment, especially politically, and in terms of the way we cover what's happening politically, you need something. You need a digest at the end of the. That's week. what I was going to say. I mean, say. you you actually need a reminder of like what was important. Something that helps you synthesize the, these times. Like yeah. having a weekly documentary, I think, is actually critical to all the other media you yeah, may consume through Yeah, everything else is a fire hose. It's a fire hose of cable stuff with something happening every five minutes, every hour. And so people are just bombarded by this information. And, and people are kind of uh, understandably addicted to it all because it's so fascinating and interesting. But it's hard to tell what mattered. At least we I, get to take a step back and present it in kind of a fun, loose documentary style with kind of a thematic backbone to it to say – you know, and tie it up into a There's a little distance, line. a little exhale. Yeah, I, I don't... Well, yeah, I don't and know. I, I also think, like, we had three episodes in the fall or in and around the Kavanaugh confirmation that I think really captured the emotional 
battle that was playing out in a way that you 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 couldn't the cable news coverage and network news coverage didn't but in in part because they were just kind of responding to what happened that day but we were able to really synthesize the moment and i in a way that i think was not only compelling but really useful as we sort of process okay where is the country at like what does this debate actually mean like where are we and i think the show is really really helpful and useful for that so tonight you're mentioning you're going to go to the new Momofuku up at Columbus Circle, sure. Time Warner Center. Are you, mm-hmm. So that you're going to record there. Mm-hmm. The three, We're going to shoot the there. The three of you guys. So yep. all right. So you got you're sitting around a table. Are you pretending to have dinner? Or are you actually no. having dinner? Like, what is that like? There's so many. <laughs> We're epi- shoveling it. <laughs> We're shoveling food in our mouths. Me more than anyone else. Every Saturday they show us a cut, and every Saturday I'm like, I am just chewing food with my mouth open. You need to take these shots out of the show. Haven't you learned by now how to eat on camera? You'd think. You'd think. I would. Well, no, there is no good eating. I mean, with the exception of how do you eat ramen on camera? You got to slurp. You got to embrace the slurp. I mean, like, with a knife and fork. Do you get to film the segments? At least when it is like naturally dinner time, or is it like we're going to pretend to be eating dinner at 2 30? No, 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 no. Pretty close. It's a, it's a dinner. It's a dinner. Time. Well, I mean, we're, I know we're always doing it when I'm hungry. So <laughs> yeah, we are. All, we le- we are legitimately eating and legitimately drinking. I'm not this season, but these guys are, and and it is great food. I mean, these places we get to go. Are Who gets to choose the restaurants? I will just say that I, I'm kind of the food idiot. I'm the guy from Colorado, and you know the bland Colorado Midwestern. Oh, Alex, between Alex and John, they're the big foodies, and and so it's a big experiment for me. I'm eating all the stuff that I've never had. Before, we 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 a lot of you know look. We have a big crew, and so not every restaurant can accommodate us because we do eat at mealtime. And so, see, that, I would be very conscious if I'm in a restaurant and there's lights and cameras on me where other customers are around. I'd be like, oh god, I'm such a jerk. Sorry for bothering you people. We got to shoot this. We've, and we've learned to get past. You're just that. like whatever. <laughs> and you should see us on Capitol Hill when we're barging into senators' offices. Um, we're not. We don't put up a ton of lights. I mean, yeah. when you see the show, it looks. It, we want the way the restaurant appears on screen to be what it is like when you walk into the restaurant. So we don't like... It's not a set. Yeah, it's not a set. And But yeah, we're in there and we have cameras and that's annoying maybe to some diners. We try and keep it tight. Like after we finish, we get out of there. Okay, how often... So you're like the big TV political people come in, you got the cameras going and, and all of a sudden like, oh, the chef would like you to try so-and-so and the chef They've sends out that. something. They never send out they something? They never send stuff out, do they? What? Well, there's kind of a hybrid on that, which is usually when we go, like tonight, it's just we said, just give us the best stuff you got. Oh, so we just just load the table. And we want stuff that looks good. Yeah, I'm going to ask both of you this question. All right, Mark, weirdest thing you've eaten in the last year on on camera? Where you're like, I I don't want to be rude. I guess I should try this. Oh, what? I'm trying to think of that that weird seafood stuff we had in. In the, uh, near the golf course in Florida. Oh God, what was that place called? It's on the list. Was it alligator? What seafood stuff? <laughs> seafood. Uh, stuff. I just remember something that, that John was playing with that came like out of the bowl and tentacles involved. Yeah, was it like, like, a like tentacles? Like yeah, it was like eel or something. Was it like oh, and was it like an octopus ceviche? I think it was eel on a golf course. That sounds like a bad. It was, oh, a, it was, it was a weird Florida. thing. We didn't, yeah, it was a. It was very Florida. <laughs> very Florida. What, you, what about what you? What is the weirdest thing? Or not say weirdest. It was at Major Domo, probably in L.A. Mm. Boy, that was great. And there was amazing stuff, but I feel like it was like 
was it an oyster based thing? I probably shouldn't have eaten it, even if I. Wait, <laughs> I let me let me rethink. Oh, this. as you, while pregnant. Yeah, I mean it's been a real dry DRA. I had that one time. Simone and I were in Paris years ago when she was pregnant with Marlon, and we went to that restaurant Le Comptoir de Relais, mm-hmm. a little bistroy place, like very affordable. But anyways, prefix you can get in. I mean, it was the entire menu was like, or it was like beef tart that was like tuna tartare like rare beef whatever oozy cheese and like we were sitting to this french couple both of them were doctors and the one was like oh no that's fine you can eat that just, yeah. just don't yeah. eat the goat cheese but otherwise everything's fine and like yeah no big deal like raw eggs everything it is yeah. true there are definitely different standards depending on what country you are in i mean japanese women are pregnant and eat sushi and that's true they're, they're still a country of japan the procreation continues <laughs> there still is a country uh so yeah i'm not answering your question very well what about drinking? How 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 much drinks will you do on camera? I mean, when I wasn't pregnant, Wagner's I, Wagner's an A league drinker, man. She, I, she's she's in, she gets into the mezcal and oh my uh, god, yeah, I, there were definitely some some she's, she's shot, a professional. shoots where I was like, she's I'm a professional drunk on camera. <laughs> but that's, but that what, makes, that's what they have editing. That that the, can I also say one of the reasons we shoot in bars and restaurants is because. The show is kind of no bullshit, right? It's not about sitting in a well-lit studio yeah. asking people like questions from a notepad. It's about giving the viewer a sense of like the the sort of the real the high human drama as we say of American politics. And that involves like getting to humanity. And part of the way you get to humanity is by getting Drinking. people drunk. <laughs> but but it's true though, like having in an interview with Andy McCabe at the Breslin Right, the former FBI director is going to be a much looser, better interview, even if you're not drinking, than Andy McCabe sitting in a television studio somewhere. Yeah. It's an immediately disarming. And I people think. Are, are just as passionate about their drinking, about our drinking, yes. and, and what they think we should be drinking. You know, I mean, just are, what you, I, are you a whiskey guy? Yeah. Like, what do you have a particular brand? Or I, I'm, a, you, I'm a I'm a little throwback. I'm a, uh, I, I like a, a Maker's Mark, okay. which, which is yeah. kind of the old classic standby, but I love it. So and, I, and I love up Maker's Mark Manhattan. I have kind of a bastardized Manhattan, which is oh, no, talk, no talk bitters. No, well, it's it's half and half instead of three to one, okay. which it normally would be, and so no, you, no bitters. So it's just uh, sweet, sweet vermouth, vermouth and Maker's Mark. Do you do it up rocks, shake? Up, what, up cold, up really cold. Really cold, Super yeah. cold, like ice floating on the oh, top. Love. So you shake it. Yeah. Do you do the, the cherry which in there? probably wouldn't like. I do like the cherry. I like the, yeah. the real cherry, though. The, the, like the Luxardo uh, ones? Yes, the really yes, syrupy yeah, yeah, ones? Those are good. Those are not a four. Those are actually, Simone was complaining to the little place near us that they needed to get Luxardo cherries in the little grocery. So they got some, and they're like $34 a jar. <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah, maybe I'm not going to buy the little Luxardo cherries. Sorry. I'll throw one. Ma- uh, I'm also a big vodka guy, and I yes, have to throw sure a shout-out to Tito's in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Texas is on. Love, love a Tito's, Tito's martini. How do, you take, how do you take a martini also? Really cold up lemon twist. Again, ice on the top. It's I've like definitely consumed cold. that with Mark off-camera. Like, he is a mar- real, legit, bonafide. He and his wife. Do that that awesome thing of couples like sitting down and having a martini before dinner. I need to hang out with you guys. What? All right, let me. Roll. What about? I went uh, to the uh, to the hay the other day, and they the had hay Adams, aka the hay. I had a single martini there that just destroyed me. It was huge and it was so good. Yeah, the giant I mean, like, trough size ones. I don't I like don't it. Know. They get too warm. Well, yeah. I I usually can go for two, but if if I'd have had two of that, I would have I wouldn't have walked. The out. best martini in my mind is Musso and Frank in L.A., where they mm. give you the back, the like half the little, of the martini, the little caddy and the little ice bowl. Sometimes exactly, that's really cute. Such oh a, yeah, little side you the, the little yeah. Shaker, Beautiful. Yeah. Do you yeah. have like a day drink if you're not just going straight up alcohol? You know, something a little softer to kind of get you through the afternoon. No, I go straight up hard stuff early. 
<laughs> do you really? He had wine once when we were at a coffee shop filming around table. I was like eating tomato soup and Mark had like white wine. Well, I do this two ways. The first whole season, I quit drinking for the whole year. No fun. I just, and then. Wait, wait, I, explain I, that. Well, I just, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a little older than the rest of my colleagues. Yeah. And I was just afraid I couldn't keep up because we're we're going to bed at you know we're getting into hotels eleven midnight. You go to the bar till two, and we're out at five in the morning. It'll wear I, you it's, out. I can't. It's, yeah, if you're doing like a, like that year, we were doing twenty six episodes the whole year. I just said I'm not going to make it, so I just went dry that whole year. And then the next year, I said, "Listen, <laughs> screw it. To. I'm going to drink heavily." Yeah. And I drank heavily. <laughs> and your wife, I prefer your, your wife was like, "Honey, you're no fun." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm much more fun when I drink. Yeah, it's also you need something to numb the pain. I mean, yeah. it's hard. The show is hard to do. It's yeah. exhausting. It's a grind. All right, so this episode goes up March thirteenth, which means you have oh, one we episode have, we'll left. The season finale. Season well, finale. The season. The mid-season finale. Mid-season. What is mid-season finale? Because we come back in the fall. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. this is season four, and that's the first half of this. But you could one can go on to like Showtime on demand. Of course, and watch back yes, 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 and we highly encourage it. You can watch fifty episodes of our oh show. Oh my god! And then by so, but come fall twenty twenty no twenty nineteen. Oh, at that point, swing. we'll be in full full, full swing campaign swing. mode. Yeah, and Wags, you're gonna have two children at home. <laughs> Well, she'll be, pre- she'll, like, be, she'll, people, be people, she'll be pregnant again. Yeah. No, God, no. Uh-uh, the bakery's closed. The bar is closed. Last call right here. I will say, people are like, how are you going to do it with two young children? And I'm like, how could I possibly raise two young children? I have to go out on the road. She's going to leave like, them. Outsource. Yeah, it's no. a lot easier to raise them if you don't have to do it. You know what? Look, they're very little. I have an incredible husband, an incredible nanny, an incredible yeah, he, family. Fortunately, he doesn't travel much. Yeah, right. And like... I will tell you one thing about the circus. It is, I I think the the I've done a number of TV projects in my in my very young life, and it is definitely the thing I'm the most proud of. It's the hardest thing. It's the most rewarding. I don't think it's like anything else on television, and it really does offer you that front row seat to w- what's happening in politics. I mean, we are really living through history. If nothing else. This is an, a hugely illuminating time in terms of our values, our, our, the way we sort of shape and preserve our democracy. And I'm very lucky to be able to have a ticket for the ride. Absolutely. All right. MCAT. I'm going to call you MCAT. Can I call you MCAT? You yeah. Can. If George W. calls you MCAT, I want to call you MCAT. Uh, and Alex Wagner, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks, Adam. Kick it hard. Glad to be with you. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.